So before we get too far, first of all, I want to give a shout out to Jean and Kirk. I believe they are watching from home. I don't, are they here today? Jean and Kirk are watching from home and we ran into them last week when we went out to eat and I told Jean, I'll give you a shout out next week. So we, she was so excited. We saw each other in the restaurant and it was just really nice to connect with somebody from our online campus. So we welcome you and we're so glad that you're joining and tuning in today. Can you guys just here in the auditorium, let everybody in online gathering, just let them know how much we appreciate them being a part of our community. Yes. And before we get any further, I don't want to miss this opportunity. Would, can um, Miss Jenny, Mrs. Jenny Tuck, can you please stand just right where you're at? I'm not going to make you come up. I was like, that will embarrass her so much if I do that. So I'm not going to do that to you. Mrs. Jenny Tuck recently got married and she and her mom have been part of our church since we were over in the barn. Those of you that don't know the barn days, These are people here who know the barn days. Yes. Well, Mrs. Jenny is married for the first time and what a wonderful blessing, but she is moving to the Western slope to begin her new life over there with her husband. So if you would, everybody just stretch your hands towards Jenny right now. And father, we just thank you for this beautiful blessing of a woman. I thank you father that you have ordained her for this time to be a wife to be a helpmate and to be a blessing to her new husband. And Father, I thank you that what you have planned for them is exceedingly good, that everything in her life has led to this moment and to this time for her stepping out, launching out as one flesh, as a new wife with her new husband. And Father, I pray blessing over their home on the Western Slope. We agree, Father, that no matter how far she goes, she's always family. And we thank you that she is rooted deep and that you have given her wings. And we praise her, and we just bless her as she goes. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. (laughs) So if you see Jenny on the way out, be sure and tell her uh, blessings as a newlywed. If you have any really good marriage encouragement, notice I said marriage encouragement, share that with her on your way out. It is a good It is a good thing. A man who finds a virtuous woman finds a good thing. So you are a good thing, right? (laughs) All right. Um, As Kelsey said, Darren is just, they just got started six minutes ago. They started church service at Island Grove at 930 this morning for the circuit finals. And it's kind of a neat thing. They moved circuit finals from Florida to Greeley. (laughs) Who knew? (laughs) Hey, so anyway, we get to do church service out there this morning. So that's where Mark and Darren are this morning. Um, But I want to start something today, which I will, I will share a little something with you. I didn't know this about myself, but it was pointed out to me, I think by our uh, staff, our team, (laughs) I'm an instigator. I, honest to Pete, I did not know that about myself. I am really good at telling other people, you should totally do that. (laughs) Things that probably they shouldn't do, but it would be really funny if they did. (laughs) 
And I am a huge encourager of people doing those things because I like watching it when they do. But I didn't know this about myself until just probably, what, like three months ago? I think it was pointed out to me. I seriously did not know that about myself. Well, I am instigating today something that is good, okay? I'm not going to instigate anything that will get you arrested today. I have been known to do that, but not today, okay? (laughs) So, oh, I do want to welcome all of our friends that are watching in California as well. We're going to have, we have California people watching, and we pray for all of the wildfires to be extinguished in California. We got snow here, so we just pray for good moisture and wisdom for those firefighters and winds that work the fire back against itself and for those fires to be put out in Jesus name. So one of the things that I really like is old buildings, places that are abandoned and that have been left uh, to just sit. And I find them fascinating. Does anybody like when you're driving down the road, like old houses like, especially the ones that say no trespassing. I think those are fascinating. (laughs) I don't do that. But uh, back in 2017, our family took a vacation to Texas. My kids had never met my extended family. And so we went to Texas to visit my family. And while we were there, we just decided to tour Texas. Um, You can visit, I am from Texas originally, and so I think that Texas is a great place. You can go to the state of Texas and visit like several different countries because there's so much variation in Texas. And we, uh, we went to the Kamal, we floated the river, we went to San Antonio, we went to the hill country, we went to Lubbock, which there really is not much of a vacation destination in Lubbock, but that's where I'm from. So we went there to see family and we were making a big loop. And as we were on our way back, Darren surprised me and he said, so I've been tracking and looking and we can make a little stop if you would like to. And I said, well, where, where would we make a little stop? And he said, right here. And he pointed to Mineral Wells, Texas. Now, If you're not from there, it's mineral wells, mineral. But if you're from around there, it's just mineral wells. It's like one word, like lazy language, you know, just spread all together. Well, there is no reason to go to Mineral Wells, Texas, except there is a old hotel there called the Baker Hotel. Has anybody heard of the Baker Hotel? All right, there you go, sister. The Baker Hotel was opened in 1929, and it is a 450-room, 14-story hotel. And at the time that it was built, it was state-of-the-art. And the whole reason that it was built out in the middle of nowhere, Texas, is because there are mineral wells there. And the water was believed to have healing properties, and people would travel from all over the world to come. You could fly into Dallas. You could come to Dallas. Wait. Could people fly back then? No. Okay. You, right? This way. <laughs> right? Okay. Anyway, you could travel, however it was, to Mineral Wells. Dallas was the closest big city. And um, 
people would go there. Presidents stayed there. Will Rogers stayed there. Uh, Dorothy from Wizard of Oz stayed there. I mean, people from all over the place came to stay, and it was a very extravagant. I believe it was the first hotel with uh, air conditioning. It was the first hotel of its time that had plumbing to each one of the rooms. So this was highfalutin people. This was a really, really fancy place to stay. Well, back in 1929, when it was built, there was the huge economy boom. It was good times. There was lots of oil money flowing. Well, over time, as the economy crashed in the mid-1960s, the Baker Hotel had to shut its doors as a hotel, but it managed to stay open as various things until 1972. And in 1972, they closed the doors altogether on the Baker. Well, when you drive into Mineral Wells, the Baker Hotel sits high above, I mean, it's it's down level with everything else, but you can see it for miles because it is so tall. It is taller than anything else around there because you're out in Texas. There ain't nothing out there, right? So it's the tallest thing it still stands today. So in, uh, back in seven, two, uh, 2017, when we did our family vacation, Darren said, let's go through Mineral Wells and go see the Baker Hotel. Well, I was super excited about that. We pull up there and there's no fence. There's no nothing around it. So you can get out and walk around. It had like underground parking, which was really cutting edge at the time. The um, architecture of it is very ornate. It was very, very advanced. It has huge, it's super cool. I was going to put pictures up for you guys. Google it sometime, just the Baker Hotel and Mineral Wells. But we got out and walked around and the windows and stuff are boarded up. But if you hold your phone inside the um, boards that are, you know, kind of gaped open, then you can look all around with your phone and pan it around, which we did. And then I was really glad I didn't actually drop my phone in there while we were doing that, (laughs) but it would have been a really good reason to have to go inside. So anyway, I am fascinated by stuff like that. And here this hotel has been sitting since 1972 with no uh, business, no care, nothing has been giving to it. A place that was once vibrant with vision and life now sits lifeless and decaying. And it just, to me, is a fascinating thing. I think about when was the last time that this place was filled with laughter? You know, I walk around and I think about that kind of thing. I think, when was the last time somebody planned a trip to the baker as a destination? And who was the person that had to go around and lock those doors for the last time? Like, these are just, this is, welcome to Lynette Land. Like, these are the kinds of things that, that roll around in my head. But... Someone could look past the way that sits right now and dream about what it could be because it's still there and it's huge. Someone could have a vision for what it could be. It is an opportunity to look past what our eyes can see and to think beyond what our mind can understand. And this is exactly the thing that Jesus did over and over and over. 
in the scriptures. When you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, this is the time that Jesus spent walking on the earth. It's the first four books of the New Testament, and it tells the account, the history, the stories of when Jesus was walking on the earth with his disciples. And Jesus, over and over and over again, invited his disciples to look past what their eyes could see and to think beyond what their mind could understand. And I want to show you an example out of Mark, and it's Mark chapter 8, for those of you that would like to go there with me. It's Mark 8, and I'm going to start reading in verse 14, and this is after Jesus has had lots of encounters, he's had lots of things happening, and Jesus and his disciples get into a boat, and they decide to get into this boat and to go to the other side. And this is what is said in Mark 8, 14, it says, now the disciples have forgotten to take bread. And they did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. Then he, Jesus, charged them saying, take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves saying, it is because we have no bread. But Jesus being aware of it said to them, why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive nor understand and is your heart still hardened. Jesus says to them, he says, beware of the leaven of Herod and of the Pharisees. What is that? Well, the leaven, leaven represents the influence on the mind, the influence on the way that we think leaven. It's what's put into bread. It's what makes bread rise. And there's actually another scripture in the Bible. that says a little leaven leavens the whole lump. What he's saying is he's saying just a little bit of this influence will go a long way. It'll affect everything. So he says, beware of the leaven, beware of the influence on your thinking and of what? He said, the leaven of Herod. Who was Herod? Herod was the king that ruled at the time. He was a king under the Roman Empire, and he ruled over the Jews. He ruled, and he would allow them to worship God as long as it didn't get in his way. Herod represents the political system. So Jesus was saying, beware of the influence on your thinking and your mind of the political system, Herod. Then he also said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Who were the Pharisees? The Pharisees were a group of people that had been established, that were appointed, that were selected, and they were the people who were the... They, okay, here's the best way I can say it. They were the religious snobs of the day. They were the ones that no matter where they went, you could see up their nose because they were looking down their nose at everyone. They were the ones that were more concerned about the outward things that people were doing. They were the ones that would go around and make sure that you were doing what the law said, but taking the law and using it as a whipping stick. They were not appropriating the word of God in a way for growth and understanding. They were using it as a way to suppress everyone else and elevate themselves. So Jesus says, beware of the leaven, the influence on your thinking and your mind of the political system 
and the religious system. Both of these systems ruled in a way that a very few people had power and those few select people that had power used it to rule and suppress everyone else. It was not an even distribution. So Jesus tells them this system, both of these systems, Herod's system and the Pharisee systems are systems that a little bit will go a long way in influencing your life. Beware of it. This is what Jesus says to them when they're in the boat and the disciples hear Jesus say this and the disciples are like, dude, Sandy, did you not bring the bread? Jesus is in the boat and Jesus is going to get hangry. You didn't bring enough bread for everybody. They're all talking to themselves like y'all somebody get Jesus a Snickers because he's mad. Jesus gets irritated when he doesn't get to eat. And they're talking back and forth to themselves. And Jesus, understanding, discerning, hearing what they're saying, Jesus says to them, why do you reason such? Why do you take what I'm taking And sharing with you in this boat, just us, my close, the word disciple means a follower. It's the ones who went with Jesus. They had sleepovers. They had slumber parties. They went together everywhere. They were his, those were his peeps. They were the ones that he had chosen to follow him, invited, given an invitation to follow him because he wanted to share intimate things with them. So when he says to them, beware of this leaven, Jesus is giving them a warning. And it's fascinating to me that 2000 years ago, that Jesus would speak to a little group of men in a boat and say, beware of the leaven of Herod. Beware of the political system because it will go a long way in your life if you give it influence. Beware of a religious system that focuses on your outward acts and uh, ceremonies and traditions rather than the health and the state of your heart, your spiritual heart. 2,000 years ago, Jesus had the wherewithal to say, y'all, I see 2020 coming, and I'm letting y'all know right now. I'm letting you know right now. The disciples reasoned, we have no bread. Their reasoning, their thinking, their mind was all focused on the earthly resources. It was focused on what they had in their hands. It was focused on the state of what was around them at that time, especially in that boat. They were focused on the physical, what they could see, what they could put their hands on, what felt real in the moment. And Jesus, as they're talking, Jesus says, why are you reasoning? Why are you intellectually trying to understand when I am speaking to you of something that is so much bigger? And Jesus then continues on in verses 17 and 20. I'm not going to put it up for the sake of time, but here's, here was the irony of it. 
is Jesus asked him, he's like, yo, y'all, come here and just listen to me right now for just a minute in this little boat. You were with me when there was 5,000 people and we multiplied the loaves. And he says, how many of loaves did we have? And they said five. And he said, and how many people did we feed? And they said 5,000. He said, how many baskets, how many baskets of leftovers did you pick up? And they said 12. And he said, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, okay. And then another time, how many people were there? And he said, they said 4,000. He said, how many loaves were there? And they said seven. And he said, and how many did we feed? And they said 4,000. The irony of this is, is that Jesus is recalling this, but this miracle was done through their hands. When Jesus did this, he said, here's this bread, here's this bread, here's this basket. And the disciples took it and they're the ones that fed all of the people. So it's not like they just sat back and watched Jesus do this. The miracle took place through their hands. And now they're sitting in a boat with Jesus with one loaf of bread. And their focus is we don't have but one Snickers to pass out. What are we going to do? And Jesus is saying, why Do you intellectualize and try to reason what you have experienced that goes beyond what your eyes can see and what your mind can understand? Why do you continue to go back to that? Verse 21, Jesus says this. So he said to them, how is it that you do not understand? What he was saying to them is, how is it you are continuing after you have walked with me and followed me and we've had campfire stories together? How is it that y'all are still so focused on what the earth, what your surroundings, what, what, what he's saying to them? How come you're so focused on what the limitation of your paycheck is? How come you're so focused on what the limitation of your education is? How come you're so focused on what you think your job income will or won't be? How come you're so focused on the, the skills that you think that you do or don't have? How come you're so focused on how many initials do or don't come after your name? That's what Jesus is saying to them. Because they're totally focused on this right here. And Jesus begins to ask them questions because he is inviting his disciples to move beyond the reasoning tied to earthly resources. He's asking them to step past, step past how many hours you work a week, step past how many jobs you've applied for and haven't gotten, step past the neighborhood that you do or don't live in, step past the education, step past who you didn't have in your life, step past who affected you when you were a kid, step past. Jesus is inviting them to do that. And he asks them, how is it that you still don't understand? To look past what their eyes could see and to think beyond what their mind could understand. See, the miracles that they had not only witnessed, but seen done through their own hands at that time, miracles that Jesus did were not meant to be party tricks. It wasn't meant to be like, oh, dude, Jesus can turn water into wine. Let's take him to all the parties, right? It's not Jesus can lay his hands on somebody that's blind and open up their eyes. Let's go to the mall. Let's go to Starbucks. That'll be fun. When Jesus did miracles, it was an invitation for everyone that experienced it to shift 
their thinking and their focus from the earthly resources to the heavenly resources. When Jesus did anything, it wasn't meant to be isolated in that moment for that one person, for that one group of people. It was meant to be a demonstration of what was possible when someone would look beyond what their eyes could see and think beyond what their mind could understand. That's what Jesus would do. Another good example of this, just one, I mean, there's so many of them, but another one is in Luke chapter eight, and it starts in verse 22. And again, it takes place in a boat. I don't know what the deal is. Jesus liked boats. I think it's because when you have the disciples in a boat, they're in small quarters and they can't get away. Anybody ever been like that on a plane? You can, you can talk to people on a plane because they ain't going nowhere, right? You can speak to people that are next to you on the plane because they're not getting up and going anywhere. And I've had some great conversations with people on planes. They start out a little distant and a little, you know, a little like this, or either they sit down and they start wanting to talk to me about everything. And I'm not into that. I want to know, hey, I want to know, do you know where you're going? Because I know where I'm going, but do you know where you're going? Well, I'm going to Dallas. I don't think so. I don't think you know where you're going. (laughs) But I've got you captive here for two hours, and we can have a conversation about it. It's good. As Jesus in a boat. He's like, y'all can't go nowhere. I got you in a boat. So Jesus, again, is in the boat with his disciples. And this is, many of you may have heard this before, but again... The storm comes up. Jesus and all his disciples get in the boat and he says to them in verse 22 in uh, Luke 8, 22, he said, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side of the lake. Now, when Jesus says that, it's not because he's just making small talk. He is making a declaration of where we're going. He said, let us go to the other side of the lake. So all the disciples and Jesus get in the boat and it continues on a big storm raises up. Well, as they're crossing to the other side, Jesus has curled up in the front of the boat and he's taking a little nap. Jesus was tired. So as he's taking his little nap, the storm, the waves start crashing in on the boat, which is really funny to me. If you threw a cup of water on me while I'm sleeping, I'm waking up. Jesus got waves crashing in the boat and he's sleeping. The disciples are freaking out. They shake Jesus and they wake him up and they're yelling at him. Jesus, do you not even care? We're going to die out here on this boat and you're sleeping. Jesus wipes the sleep out of his eyes and he gets up and straightens his robe out. It's like, geez, you guys, I was just in the middle of a really great dream. Stands up and he speaks and he says, peace, be still. And the waters and the wind settle. Miracle. And he looks at the disciples and he says to them in verse 25, he says, where is your faith? Now, when he says, where is your faith in the Greek, that's actually asking a place. What he's saying is, where have you put your faith? And it was obvious that at that moment they were putting their faith in the storm because they were going to die. They're freaking out. Jesus has put his faith in his words of let's go to the other side because he's taking a nap. So when he says to the disciples, where is your faith? Just a little insight, like if God ever asks you a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. 
is not looking to see, hey, let's just see how brilliant you are today. When you sense that God is asking you a question or putting a moment in front of you for you to stop and to consider, it's because he's wanting you to stop and recognize where are your thoughts? What are you focusing on? Where are you putting your hope? Where are you putting your faith? So when Jesus said, where is your faith? He's saying, you are putting your faith in the storm right now. I told you we're going to the other side. God did not send me here to die on a lake in a boat with y'all. I have a destiny. Where is your faith? I want to ask you that today. Where is your faith? What are you putting your faith in? Where have you placed it? Are you putting your faith in the storm? Are you putting your faith in a political system, the leaven of Herod? Or are you putting your faith in a religious system, the leaven of the Pharisees, in just going through motions? Where's your faith? Jesus poses questions to his disciple because it was an invitation to a shift. It was an invitation to, catch this, to return, to recall, or recover what was neglected. It was an invitation for what was dormant in depression or even dead. It was an invitation to revival. It was an invitation for whatever in their life had fallen dormant, whatever in their lives had been neglected, whatever in their realm of influence had become dormant for whatever area of their life they were experiencing depression or even death. And you say, well, wait, 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 okay, wait. Jesus was offering them the opportunity to make a shift. And it all starts with where is your faith? Because there is all of these people in this room and all of those that are watching, we all have areas of our life where we have neglected to hold on to certain things. We have neglected the dreams that were on the inside of us at one time. The ideas and the tenacity And the vision that you had on the inside of you at one time in your life has fallen dormant. The the desires for chasing God, the desires for starting a new business, the desire to be a great mom or a great dad or a great spouse, 
the belief that you could go beyond what your family has always had, whether they're in the welfare system, whether they never owned a home, whether they never had enough to be a blessing to other people, that there was somewhere on the inside of you that you thought whatever my last name is that was handed to me in birth in this life does not dictate to me where I'm going to go for the rest of it. And somewhere on the inside of you, there was a dream, there was a hope, there was a vision for something more to press beyond what your eyes could see and what your mind could understand. And for different reasons, for different causes, because maybe as you got older, those thoughts and the belief that that could happen begin to fade with every added candle on your cake. Maybe every month when you struggled at the end of every month, the desire and the belief for more began to fade. Maybe with every doctor's visit with being told that this is your future, this is what you're going to have to be, this is what it's going to look like, the hope for anything more began to die. But see, when Jesus spoke to his disciples, he was offering them an opportunity to shift their thinking for them to shift their focus from what is here in the earthly realm, what has been established, what is status quo. And here I will tell you one of the things that is the biggest is that we just settle in to life. We just settle into waking up at this time, going to work at this time, coming home at this time, watching TV, sitting down, and we just get into status quo. Hey, but you know what? That got interrupted earlier this year. It is an opportunity for a shift. It is an opportunity I'm not ignorant to the fact that there's people sitting in here who lost your job in the last couple of months and you don't know where your next house payment is coming from. I'm not ignorant to the fact that there are people in here who are facing health issues that you look at your future and you say, it's not going to get any better. I'm not ignorant to the fact that there are people in here who are struggling in your marriage. And I am not ignorant to the fact that there are people in here who have been told that you have diagnosed depression and hopelessness. But here's what I am going to say to you is Jesus is giving you an opportunity for a shift because the earth, the world, the system of Herod, the political system and the religious system, they're going to continue to dole out to you very, very limited resources, but the kingdom of heaven When you connect your focus and you shift that thinking, you shift the focus to the kingdom of heaven, the power and the authority is not limited to a select few. The power and the authority is given in overflow to anyone who would open their heart to God and to say, in you, I put my trust and in you, I believe. And when you do that, he begins to multiply the bread through your hands he begins to distribute the authority through your heart through your eyes through your ears and he says i'm just asking you right now in this boat i'm asking you to shift your focus
because the very definition of revival is to return, recall, and recover what was neglected. That what was dormant and in a state of depression or even dead would be brought back to life again. That is revival. Revivals. For some of you sitting in here, you're like revival. Now, wait a minute. I thought that's where you have like a week long meeting out in a tent somewhere. And somebody comes in and preaches about hell. And maybe they even pass out snakes and stuff. When I was growing up, that's what it was because I was a good little Baptist girl. Revival is not intended to be an event. It is not something that is written at 7 p.m. We will have revival at the church. Revival is an invitation into a shift and a lifestyle. Revival is not intended to be something that lasts for a certain amount of days and then fades off. Revival is intended to be something that renews and brings life and vitality and vision and hope where there wasn't any or where it had faded away, had been neglected, had been allowed to lie dormant for a time. We are in position for a revival. We have been appointed to be in this place at this time for this call and for this purpose. That your identity, that your destiny, and that your purpose is not linked to any political system or religious system. It is linked directly to the kingdom of God. It's an invitation to a shift. It is time for revival. See that old Baker Hotel in Mineral Wells? When we went back in 2017, there was no fences around it. You could just walk up. You could walk all around it and peek in everywhere and everything. Well, now it's got big, tall fences around it because they don't want anybody getting in and destroying what someone had the vision to start. They had started a $65 million renovation on the Baker Hotel. I can tell you when it opens, I'm going to go stay there. I want to go stay at the Baker Hotel. Now, there's some people that would say that is foolishness and that is crazy to invest that kind of money in little podunk hole mineral wells Texas in a hotel that is run down and ain't been open in over 50 years. But see, the people who are renovating that, who are reviving that, their focus is not just in the Baker Hotel. They have said that if we could bring life back to this old hotel, it would bring life back to this whole town. That's what revival is about. It's not about just you having an experience, about you having an isolated moment with God. It is about you recognizing, first of all, that it is a miracle for you to be able to say, I have been born again. People say, I want to see miracles. I want to see signs and wonders. I invite you to look in the mirror. You are a miracle. There are people in here that it is sheerly the power of God that you are alive. 
I know that I have had an experience. I'll share this someday. That's a good story. I got shot at while I was in college, and the police officer said, there is no reason why this bullet shouldn't have gone right through your chest. That's a story for another time. But there's a lot of people in here. There's, it's just surely the power of God that you are alive. You are a miracle for you to be able to be born again, to be born from above, to be born from your heavenly birthing place. That's a miracle. That's the first miracle that you need to recognize that when you give your life to God, that's a miracle. Let us not Forget the things that God has done. And when you start recounting the goodness of God, all the times he's been good to you, all of the miracles that you've seen, that stirs that shift of thinking on the inside of you. It shifts your focus and it starts connecting you with the kingdom of heaven and everything that God has done, what he'll continue to do. And then the promise that you haven't seen the best yet. That's what that does. Jesus is asking the question today. He's giving you an invitation to a shift. And he's asking us, is your heart still hardened? By the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And I want to take just a moment, just right where we're at. And I want to invite you right now. This is between you and God. That if you have allowed this political environment to harden your heart, I'm just, I'm going to shoot you straight. I can watch the weather and then I got to turn it off. And there are days that I don't even turn the weather on because it's somebody, somebody's going to say something and it's just going to like set my day wrong right from the get go. I don't need that at seven o'clock in the morning. (laughs) I need my coffee and Jesus at seven o'clock in the morning. Okay. I'm just being real for me. That's where I have to be right now. I want to know what's going on. I want to be educated because I do believe that we have a responsibility and we have a voice. And the first and most important thing is that your voice is heard in your vote and we need to get out and we need to vote this season. But here's what I'm going to say right now. I want you to take a moment to center in right where you're at, to be still. And if the leaven of Herod, if the influence of the political system right now has hardened your heart, has caused you to look at anything with hopelessness, if it has caused you to look at anyone without compassion and love and hope, right now I invite you to take this moment right now and say, God, I turn away from that and I shift my focus to you right now where you sit and invite him. If that is you, I'm going to pray right now over you. So I invite you just to join in. I'm going to invite God to soften your heart because for some of us, that constant, this, the constant can harden your heart. So if that's you, I'm inviting you just to join in with me right now as I say, Father, in the name of Jesus, any area of our heart that we have allowed to become hard or calloused to anyone, to any population of people, any group of people, if we have stereotyped certain people, if we have lost hope 
because of the political system. And we have allowed that to influence our mind in such a way that we have shifted our possibility, that we have shifted what we see and we have shifted how our mind can dream into limitation. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, we invite you to soften our hearts and we shift our focus to your heavenly resources right now. And we declare that our future, our destiny, our purpose, and our identity is not tied to any political system on this earth, that it is tied directly to the kingdom of heaven. And now I want to say this, if anywhere at any time you have been hurt by the church, you have been hurt by people who call themselves Christians, the leaven of the Pharisees, maybe it's you yourself that has gotten into a place in your life where you use the word of God to judge other people rather than as an invitation to love. If that is you, I invite you right now to invite God to say, Father, forgive me and soften my heart. Forgive me where maybe I have hurt people. And Father, for anyone who is listening and anyone in this room who has been hurt, who has felt judged, who has felt rejected, who has felt shame because of any any association with a church, with people who call themselves the church, Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask for healing for those hearts right now, including here. If you have been hurt, if in any way here, I repent to you in the name of Jesus Christ, and I ask your forgiveness. And Father, I ask that you would heal those hearts right now in Jesus' name. Father, we connect our heart and our thinking. We connect our vision to the kingdom. And in the name of Jesus Christ, we say, now is the time for revival. We are ready for revival. In Jesus' name, amen.